Welcome, everyone. This is Dan Masterton, and you're listening to Hear, Hear, my audiobook podcast. And this is the last episode for season one as I read to you my book, What There Is to Be Done. I just want to thank everyone so much for listening. And to those of you who maybe had a paper book reading in your hands, maybe popped in and out of the podcast as you read along, thank you to you as well. For anybody who's thinking about grabbing a paperback copy for themselves, I encourage you to visit my link tree at linktr ee slash danmasterton. There's an order form if you want to get a copy of my book, but it's also where I keep up to date with my other writing from other websites and from my blog if you want to check out other things that I've been up to as well. So as we dig into this last chapter, I just wanted to offer one little reflection, some background on this book that you've been listening to or reading along with. I love Catholic schools. I went to Catholic school from kindergarten all the way through my master's degree. After I graduated from school, uh, from undergrad, I worked in Catholic schools for many years until my kids were born and sort of phased out for now into other pastoral work. But I love Catholic schools. I love ministering in Catholic schools. I loved getting to know the heart of so many people who give of themselves to make Catholic schools what they are. At the same time, there's moments where I didn't love some of the ways people mistreated each other, whether peer-to-peer or the way that admins handled employees or employees talked about admins. And there were just a lot of moments where I could see in myself or in my friends or my peers or my supervisors that there was a little bit of patience lacking, a little bit of an empathy gap, and definitely times where we all could have used better prayer and spiritual lives underneath the ministry we were doing. So a lot of this book comes from that experience for sure, and I tried to portray real characters that were pieced together from some of my experiences, but with some ideals sprinkled in to really highlight what I think can make people great and make them great ministers and make the schools great. And also some definitely hyperbolic examples of troublesome things, kind of exaggerated a bit to make a point. What I hope is that the result is a story that was a thoughtful portrait of a great person, Teresa, and a faith-filled faith community, Mary Mother of God High School, and that all of it feels real, feels accessible, and feels like something that's worth your time and that prompts some reflection or some further exploration in your own mind, in your own prayer, in your conversations with others. So with that said, I also wanted to offer a little bit of a uh, pulling back of the curtain. I wrote this book using the resources from National Novel Writing Month, or as it's known shorthand, NaNoWriMo. It takes place every November, and it's developed into something really, really impressive. Uh, Their website, NaNoWriMo, offers resources to writers to help them get started, to work through ideas, to try to build out a little bit of a plan. And it provides a community through message boards, local meetings at libraries and schools, um, and ways to keep in touch with other people trying to write. And then the goal is, during the month of November, for 30 days, you write 50,000 words straight through. I did this last year. It was hard, but it was a lot of fun. I ended up bleeding a little bit into December after I hit 50,000 and hadn't quite finished my story. And I finished the story. I put it down for a couple months, came back to it in the spring, did some hand editing on printed copies, let it sit for a little bit, did some editing on my computer, and while there's still a few typos I wish I had caught, I decided I was excited enough to share it over the podcast and in this little paperback. So it's nothing too special. It's just a little bit of pent-up creativity in me and a whole lot of desire to write and share. And I think 
I ended up with something interesting that I've heard some great uh, responses about from all of you. So if it's something you've ever thought about, Google NaNoWriMo, take a look, consider giving it a shot. And you're always welcome to get in touch with me if you have any questions or you want any tips about how it worked for me. I'll be tackling it again in a few weeks. I encourage you to give it a shot, whether you do it in November, at another point in the year, whether you do it through the community avenues on the website or just on your own. Just know that this November I'll be writing again and maybe you should too. All right, well, this is chapter 13. 13, my favorite number. And it's the final chapter in the book. So this week, no Twitter follow, no goofy ad, just the last chapter of the book, straight through to the finish. Thank you so much to everyone who has listened and read along, to everyone who sent a supportive text or email, and to everyone who's told me what they think of the book. So grateful for all of you. So here it is, the last chapter, Walking with Teresa, What There Is to Be Done. Joe's taxidermy. You snuff him, we stuff him. How can I help you? John answered. Teresa didn't even dignify it with a reply. She left some dead air, but John knew she was still there. Hey, he finally added. What's up? How's it going? I'm fine, Joe, Teresa laughed. Got an hour or so before my late meeting. You got a few minutes? John had planned out his day with this possibility in mind. He wrapped his main tasks for the day by four-ish and let himself be flexible for the last hour or so in case Teresa wanted to talk. It turned out to be a clutch veteran husband's move. Always, John replied. Teresa had hoped there'd be time to check in with John at the end of a long day. Striving as ever for a work-life balance that she could reestablish and maintain, she was glad to talk to John from her work office, while John was at his work office, so that they'd only have to bring home as much of their workdays as they wanted to bring. She wanted to kind of do a broader check-in about how work was going for her, and its impact on him, and something about chatting office-to-office felt like the best context to her. John's pre-planning seemed to echo that preference pretty robustly. John could sense in Teresa that there was a lot of positive energy in her task management, her brain dumps and efficiency, and in her ability to take enough time to strategize toward a bigger picture rather than just triage all the time. What seemed to be at a deficit now was her ability to take stock of her spiritual and social-emotional welfare, something that had been more relevant in some of her conversations today, which John didn't yet know. So John decided to lead off. He had a lot of thoughts. He knew Teresa had found a clear invitation to this work. It was answered, and she received and accepted it. Then it was massively changed. Granted, in a way that joined elements of her past and future, but still a forceful, unexpected way. And Teresa then discerned that she'd make the best of it, do an earnest juggle, find ways to be part of a solution. He wondered about all this, but left much of it implicit behind a simple question. How do you feel about your discernment right now? Teresa was smiling. The way John walked with her and talked with her made it seem as if he had been a fly on the wall throughout her day. And Mike hadn't even side-texted him this time. His gut was strong. His ability to read his wife was solid. Teresa started to answer. I feel like I'm charting the course for a fairly earnest struggle. She took a moment and dove into the discernment deep with her husband. I think my process last year was chock full of grace. I think it spat me out at a great place and set me up for something great. And I also think it laid the foundation for responding faithfully to a real crappy curveball. I think I'm peaceful about doing this combo job earnestly for the year. I think I'm proactive about striving for solutions. I think I'm present to today and tomorrow and these challenges before me without worrying inordinately about the medium or long term. I think I'm less certain about where that leaves me and us and the family we desire. 
Well, hey, I saw your text earlier about a lead on a doctor. That's something, yeah? John asked. I think so. And the way it fell into my lap just felt right and reinforced the patience and humility we've somehow maintained. I don't think that can last forever, and I do get a little mad now and then, but it regrounded me in that long game, gave me some fresh peace, Teresa explained. That's awesome. I hope there's something there, because I'll admit, I haven't yet been sharing it fully, but I'm starting to get a little mad, and not just for myself or for our family. I'm mad for you. You should get to be a mother this way. You'll be amazing at this, and it feels like something is picking on you unfairly. I take five seconds and remember God is love and benevolence and grace, and he's not out to punish you or us. But those angry flashes come, and they're real, John admitted. I want it, John. I do. And I know you do, too. But to this point, for the most part, somehow the patience is lasting. I'm not sure how. It's mainly your steadiness and that you invite our faith into it. I think it's the strength of a marriage where God is welcome. We're not afraid of inviting the Holy Spirit into this, and I'm not trying to hand God a script, Teresa said. I know that, and it helps that I know you know that. When I have my self-doubt or I feel my fuse shortening, I know you're striving for patience. That brings me back, John replied. Not to make this all about work, but I thought this would be all about work, (laughs) John added, commenting on the topic change. I know, I know, Teresa chuckled. How charitable are you feeling these days toward people at school, John asked. I can still feel myself hanging on to angst for Frances, that she never apologized, that her offers of help or support ring a little hollow, Teresa admitted, but it only pings around in me now and then, like right after a fresh interaction with her. When I'm talking to her, when I need to go to her for something, it still feels natural, professional, comfortable. I'm not holding it against her constantly, it just recurs from time to time that it happened in the way it did, and that she let it be a bit hurtful. The way she congratulated me and the way she blindsided me just don't match up. Teresa lamented, remembering the affection on the day of her formal acceptance versus the colder business of the late change. Okay, so some work to do there, and work that's just a matter of your comfort and processing the stalemate, because she's not going to apologize, and you are at the point where you're not going to bring it up again, John summarized. Yeah, and on the whole, it's not affecting me, not dragging me down. I still get anxious, thinking that someday I may have to bust our unusual friend Maria, but other than that, I feel natural. It feels like my one-on-ones are having the desired effect. I'm seeing people in a fresh way, getting their first-hand takes on stuff. I think my mindset is sturdy, Teresa said. Checks out to me. Can you make it last? Is it sustainable? So far, I think so. My lunches with Jess and Pete, the poppins from Mike, our new pal sister Laura. Laura? Oh, I'll be telling you about her. There's just some good baseline routine that will help. Teaching will flare up, I'll give a test that they bomb, students will harass me before school with odd questions and beg for extensions, parents will email in with their weird beefs, those days are coming, and I'll do my best to be mentally prepared. The juggle will be tougher then, but the groundwork is there and should help when it all tries to fall apart. Here's to hoping so, John added. Today, in this admissions meeting, are another good test. Can I branch out? Can I draw myself towards some bigger picture strategic thinking and work while still staying balanced and organized? Connecting with admissions could be a real can of worms. Helping with admissions visits and admissions fairs, pipelining students into ambassador work and training them, helping with communications and media, and who knows what more, Teresa blurted. But you want to do this, right? John asked. I do. And the starting this new job means constantly trying to figure out what to say yes or no to doing and how to try to keep a handle on my plan. I think I'm drawn so strongly to it because there's benefits to current student life and future student life, and if we do it right, it could even make our hiring and staffing all healthier and cleaner. 
I just hope I don't see myself as too much of a white hat. I hope I can get myself into a good grounded attitude, be a good listener and a constructive contributor, and be a part of strengthening what's there and making positive adjustments, Teresa explained. Well, hell if you don't have the best right attitude going in, John said. Who knows how others will be feeling, talking, and acting, but good on you for trying to find your even keel and orient yourself properly. I think especially in these first months and first year, it's going to keep coming back to mindset. I could really wallow in feeling like I got screwed or something, but that's not exactly what happened and not how I want to live and work. So it becomes a challenge of keeping it in context and remembering the reality and emotion of it for what it was and nothing more. It's going to flare up. There's going to be times when I get angry or frustrated or mad thinking about it or about what could have been. But that should be a small bit compared to a larger attitude of being proactive, Teresa declared. It's a new way to challenge you and us to believe and act upon a God who is love. We've always said that we should be racing to be the love, to find and be the good in any situation, even the tough and confusing ones. If we're really the hands and feet of love, we can't be sitting down and hiding away, John reflected. And it sounds like you are still dedicated to trying to feel that and be that. Thank you, Teresa said. She took a beat. I think of the way this chapter started as maybe a bit of a detour or reroute, but certainly not a dead end or U-turn or anything too tragic. Even if it's not the way I would have chosen, it doesn't mean the loss of any chance to learn and grow and be a conduit for giving and receiving that love. Even on days when I might feel that hurt creeping back or might feel the juggle starting to overwhelm, my opportunity to be the hands and feet is still there. It might be different than I imagined or desired, but I don't want that to preempt my presence and my love in action. Teresa, you are a sign of God's love. You can receive it. You can be the conduit of it to others. I'm glad you're there for these kids, John said. I love you, Teresa said. I love you too, he replied. They let it breathe for a second. You going to get ready for your meeting? It's about that time. Thanks for making time at work. You leaving soon, she asked. Heading out the door in a few minutes, John replied. See you in a little bit. Bye, Teresa said as she hung up. She had a few minutes before she had to head down the hall. Teresa took that time to review some of her journaled notes and start a new page with few thoughts to bring into the meeting. She hoped to do a lot of listening, a little talking, and some forward-looking strategizing. When she had gathered her wits and the clock showed 528, Teresa grabbed a pen for her journal and stood up. Off she went. After the meeting, Teresa quickly packed up her things. It had been a good day, with many good interactions, lots of good thoughts, and a solid meeting to cap it off. Good stuff, but a lot of stuff. And now, a strong desire to go home and enjoy dinner with her husband. Teresa closed up her bag and headed out with a purpose. The mostly empty offices allowed her an escape that was fast, but not rude. She headed down to the main doors and out to her car. As she strode across the parking lot, Teresa noticed something on her car. It almost looked like a splash of paint or something else yellow. Did someone hit me? Was it a student? Ugh, at least they left a note, she thought. Insurance claims and customer service calls started flashing through her mind. What's our deductible again? Hopefully they're insured. Once she was closer, she could tell it was a note on torn out legal pad paper. It was folded in half and jammed in the window seal. She broke her stride as she reached the car door and gently took the paper out. Teresa didn't notice any dents or scratches on the side of the car as she unfolded the note. Meet me on the practice fields. Love, John. Teresa smiled. 
She opened the car, threw her bag across the divider and onto the passenger seat, and jumped in to drive. Since she was just driving around the building, she didn't buckle her seatbelt and just quickly and safely shifted into reverse to pull away. Teresa shot around the building a little faster than she usually would have driven during the normal school hours. As she pulled up to the corner of the big green lawn, practices were over for the day. There were no more students in pennies or pads, no more marching band students with shining instruments, just a slowly sinking September sun and a man sitting on a blanket with a few takeout containers full of wings, fries, and ranch dressing. Somehow, I never tire of you, sir, Teresa joked as she climbed out of the car. John smiled at her as he started to open the containers. She strolled over to his picnic spread and leaned down to kiss him once before eyeballing the food. John is her husband, and together they will be parents, someday, somehow. It's challenging for the wait to go on, but their chance to love and grow in that love is there, and they are earnest and dedicated and faithful. Teresa is the director of student life. She is also still a social studies teacher. It's a little frustrating sometimes to be both, but Teresa is earnest and dedicated and faithful. They pray and live and love, and they do it together with Christ and with each other. What there is to do isn't exactly what they might choose to do right now, and maybe not the particular way they would have chosen to do it, but they go on, together, striving and hoping, lovingly and faithfully being what love there is to be. The guitar instrumentals on this podcast are improvised and performed by Jason Pham. This book and podcast are copyright Dan Masterton 2021, all rights reserved.